Melbourne is rich in architectural history that is the foundation of how we live and how we have evolved. The social impacts of world events like war, pandemics, technology, immigration and resources have shaped the culture of our city. So it's important to keep our history alive through the maintenance and retention of local architecture that explains the development of our city and the development of our people. Today, we will be looking at what makes a building heritage and how we can preserve it. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent and invest right. Your host is Sue Langder. Real Copyright, our real estate copywriting company, is touching all corners of Melbourne, helping agents get more buyers to your door. With our highly trained copywriters, we deliver quality copy, reaching more potential buyers, giving all the right information they need to make an educated decision to go to your open for inspections. If you want to know more, Call Lisa on 5977-889 or check out our website, realcopyright.com.au. Mark Stevenson is the Heritage Director at Trethowan, an architectural firm that specialises in heritage projects, interiors and design. Welcome, Mark. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Um, Thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast. Thank you for coming on. Now, why did you decide heritage architecture was your forte in architecture? Yeah, look, that's a a good question. Always a deep one, that one. Um, Look, I suppose preserving our built, um, it's a historic built environment, has always been something that I'm I'm interested in. Yes. Um, And then, obviously, over the years, it just developed a bit of a passion for. Yeah. Um, I, I started out in the building industry. Um, and then took a bit of a turn and sort of decided then to combine that with uh, my love for history. Um, yes. And now I'm very lucky to be the you know, heritage director at the firm. So um, it's sort of just something that's really unfolded, but it's uh, yeah, something which is really interesting. Every day is yeah. interesting and that's, that's good. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting to see like how, you know, like you've everyone's got like an underlying passion somewhere, haven't they? And your passion yeah. is obviously history. And then you've probably come full circle and go, you know, and this is and all the bits and pieces that have formed your career have turned into this space now, which is the heritage mm. director. Well, that's right. Yeah. Well, I sort of, I, I sort of left school. I suppose sort of quite early. Um, at the age of sixteen, I left. I was education in the UK, so I left school at sixteen and sort of went down the the college route, the polytechnic route, um, and sort of just learnt building. I'd always been interested in buildings. Um, sounds cliche, but played with the Lego, built houses, did some yeah. sketches on a on pieces of paper. Um, went down the building route. I thought, you know, well, I need to learn how to put these buildings together. Yeah. Um, so I decided to go down that route. Did all of my qualifications, got sort of myself into that entry-level management-type position. Mm. Um, and then things were plodding along. You know, I was in my sort of early 20s, wasn't really kind of heading anywhere. It was more about, you know, friends and going out on the weekend, yes, that sort of thing, um, as you do at that age. Um, and then, yeah, I suppose I, I actually took a year out, um, what I call a year out. It wasn't technically a year out, um, but I came over to Australia um, at that point. And then as my time here was sort of coming to an end, um, I thought, well, what am I going to do? 
and I'm going to head back. I don't want to go back to the same job. And that's when I was like, mm, I quite like history. What if there's a job out there for hist- with history? And I didn't want to lose all that experience and education yeah. that I had from the building industry. Um, and so I came across what they call in the UK a conservation officer type role. Yes. Um, and that's somebody who works in a, a general local council um, yeah. as what we call here in Australia as a heritage advisor. Um, yeah. They tend to be a permanent role over there. Um, and then they, um, yeah, advise on planning applications, advise on um, sort of strategic matters and put things into heritage overlays and, and, and all that sort of thing. So yeah. it was a very interesting role. Um, I'm going to do something which I did for about four or five years. Yeah. Um, um, and then, yeah, it was then sort of really time to, you know, come back to Australia. Um, and what have you? So we did. We came back here and then, um, yeah, found Flamin Architecture and off it went again. So Amazing. different, slightly different tack, but yes. um, yeah, no, really good, really good sort of experience and good grounding and everything. So yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. Sounds good. Now let's get into the questions. Now I think my listeners know that I love the history behind homes and the properties that were once home to someone inspiring in our city's history, but um, the properties that have some uniqueness in distinction in their design and the properties that are considered significant to the area. So what are some of the key factors that could make a house heritage listed? Yeah, look, I think firstly it's sort of important to understand that um, it's not just houses that are important reminders of our past. Um, yes. You know, houses are something which we can all connect with um, yes. and things like that, so they probably are the, the first thing that people think of. Um, but there's a whole range of, of what we term in the industry heritage places, um, yes. and they could be things like buildings, precincts, trees, parks, um, yes. archaeological sites, that sort of thing, um, and even structures such as bridges, um, mm. things like that, are all kind of termed to be kind of like a heritage place. So I've sort of used that term sort of probably throughout the that chat um and these are sort of places which have then been identified to be important enough to warrant then that heritage protection um there's even things like heritage objects um as well which are sort of things like furniture um shipwrecks Mm -hmm. vehicles equipment and basically everyday objects um that can also be found to be important and then also afford that heritage protection as well yeah um so in terms of the factors and things, um, I suppose for a heritage place or object uh, to be afforded heritage protection, uh, it always needs to be demonstrated that it meets a threshold for significance. Yes. Um, and this, and, and sort of to do this, um, a place or object um, is generally assessed against a recognised heritage criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, and it must meet at least one of those criterions in order to be recommended to go into a heritage overlay mm-hmm. um, or to go onto the state register or things like that which I can touch on a bit later on yes. um, and this criteria and I suppose these are the factors really uh, this criteria sort of considers matters like um, historical aesthetic and technical significance um, it also enables um, rare and representative places and objects um, mm-hmm. as well as those places and objects um, that possess research potential uh, yeah. to be appropriately assessed um, and then considered for heritage protection. Um, the criterions and other factors that might come into a heritage listed building um, is that it's, it might be important from a social or an associative 
um, factor. So um, something basically, you know, a house might be important because um, somebody lived in there and that somebody yes. was very important. Um, and things like that. So there's a whole raft of factors. Um, it's not just because something is pretty or just be, just because it is old. Um, it's also just, yeah, there's sort of many things that sort of get put into the pot and get considered. And there's a kind of a, a structure there that we use in um, the sort of heritage industry that um, you know, make sure so we, we consider things properly um, and yes. make the right recommendation. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it's... Um... Interesting, I've, I've written an editorial piece for a property that was built in 1939 in Campwell by a renowned builder at the time. And it was nine apartments. It didn't make the heritage registry, which is a shame because Gosh. the actual builder was Barry Humphrey's father. Yes. Okay. Yep. And... He also uh, built about 18 homes in the Golf Links estate. So he mm-hmm. was renowned yes. in that Campbell area. And um, I had the privilege to talk to Barry Humphreys, who remembers his father building the block of units in yeah, wow. Campbell. Yep. And he remembers going to the brickworks, uh, which was the Fritz Holzer Brickworks Park um, yep. in, in Hawthorne. East Hawthorne. And yep. uh, choosing, or he originally said that uh, there was some bricks that were chosen, some which were commissioned uh, to be mm-hmm. created. And he remembers yep. having lovely chats with the Angelo brothers who put the terrazzo floors in the porches and the ba- um, bathrooms. Yeah. So, wow. yeah. So, yeah. No, that, that's that sort of all that, that sort of social significance and things starting to kick in there and that yeah. local connection um, that, it, you know, it wasn't just something that came in from another country. No. Um, it was done there and then in the city of Burundara and at the house, the Bokafats were built. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, obviously the, the Humphreys family having such a strong connection to Campbellwell and the Riverside yes. Estate, which uh, they, they lived in there as well, I believe. Yes, they did, um, and Crestwell Street. So, Yes, that's right. So, yeah, it's a very strong connection. So it missed the heritage listing. Um, yep. Because the actual building wasn't was considered quite plain for the time. It was built in 1939. And the agent Woodards actually were the property managers since the, um, the apartment building was built. So... Oh, wow. 1939, yeah, okay. that continued that longevity yep. of business relationship. Um, so now they're selling it or it's, yeah, it's half an acre in Camberwell. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and I think there's one tree on the property that is of heritage significance, so that must stay. Mm. Yes. Okay. But unfortunately, that block of flats themselves didn't quite make the threshold. Yeah. Like hopefully somebody will appreciate the block mm-hmm. of flats because yep. and you could probably keep the block of flats and then create a, a little walkway through to a more contemporary thing at the back or something that's mm-hmm. um a continuation of it because there's a, a tennis court at the back so that yep. land could easily be used as more accommodation yeah, and, yes yeah, definitely yeah. yeah and then restore the um the flats into something a bit more stylish 
criticise yeah, living yeah. if you wanted to. Someone probably will want to turn it into their single residence, you know. Well, that's, <laughs> that's another thing, but I think they were asking for a, a, just a amazingly $10 million or something for it. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, small change, you know. Put it in that back pocket. For some, then, for yeah. some people. <laughs> I know. Definitely not me. <laughs> definitely not me either. <laughs> okay, now. Most people think that the properties built prior to World War II are worth preserving, but should we be thinking about properties built in, say, the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and what I dare to say is the most boring architectural period, the 90s? (laughs) (laughs) It was not. Look, I'll let you debate that last bit with, uh, you know, obviously those key architects of the (laughs) 90s. But, um, look, in terms of... um, yeah, this sort of question. Look, yeah, the bulk of our heritage protection is on those places or objects that are, are pre-World War II. Yeah. Uh, we get a lot of heritage protection on our Victorian, um, Edwardian and interwar precincts. Mm. Um, so they're definitely sort of deemed to be the, you know, the sort of the periods which are easily identified to yes. be of heritage significance. So, and there's a lot of love for that period and um, mm. everybody's really supportive of those sorts of things. Um, however, there is a growing um, appreciation, I suppose, for more recent periods which yes. are worthy of protection uh, for future generations um yeah. we've obviously got what's going on down in the sort of southeastern suburbs the movements which are going on down there to protect all those modernist buildings um and things like that that's so really Morris is big strong. time isn't it yes that's right and there is some absolute gems down there yes. um and it's really a case of i think education um informing people what's important about these periods because mm. they do have a place Mm. um in our in our history um it's whether people appreciate them or not um i think it just comes down to yeah that understanding the education um a lot of people can remember them they're in living history um and things like that and they can remember the goods and the bad things about them and that may be what's sort of swaying people's thoughts when you know heritage overlays proposed on something or not um they do, yeah, uh, people form a very quick opinion, but, I, yeah, I, I really do think there is, it is an area that needs exploring further um, mm. and, yeah, protect, looking at protecting those, those sort of unique properties, those mm. ones which are really, really quite different that really do meet that high-level threshold to be, yeah. this is really important because, you know, it adopted this construction technique or it's yes. of this style or so, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, who did amazing things for the local area um, and government and whatever, lived in this this house. Yeah. Um, so I think it is really important that yeah people look at them and look, but look at them through sort of educated lens. Mm. It's a shame um, that, yeah. that some houses like I I started doing some research towards doing another podcast, which may or may not happen in the future. But it was it was called well I was going to call it the. Um, you know, if the walls could talk. And I found, um, like, just found addresses of places where people had, um, like, famous people had lived. Like, I even found the inventor of Reggie Might lived in East Brighton. And it's like, how cool is that? You know, just, um, but his house has been destroyed and something was built in the 80s to, you know, which is a shame because, you know, he was, I think Vegemite came out about 1920-something. Oh, I can't yep. remember. But, yeah, yep. but that's where he lived. Um, mm. So that's a shame. And then I remember also a house in Brighton that 
the agent was just saying, this is a you know, great development site. I think it was off Weir Street, like one of those streets between New Street and the beach. Um, and all I just said was it was a great, you know, brand new home site. It was a stunning 60s home with so much character, so much um, quirkiness within a huge window walls, looking out to the greenery of the garden. There was yeah. like it was designed to be a luxurious entertainer of its time, and it should have been preserved. And I remember the the Bo Morris and the Brighton historical people cracked it over these agents because they just put a land size, you know, bit of grass as the main yeah. photo. And it's like, how mm-hmm. dare you do this to this property? Um, so the real estate agents need to be educated as well about how good some of these properties are. And uh, people like myself, the copywriter, uh, <laughs> you need to have those copywriters on board, don't you, that know the benefits and, you know, what's worth, worth preserving. Well, that's right. And I suppose that's really where that education element comes in. Yeah. You know, make this information available to people. Um, mm. You know, there's the internet now, which has so much information in it. We've got um, wonderful um, resources like Trove and State Library, mm. um, you know, here in Victoria, which is just jam-packed with so much information. Um, and you can just, you know, you can spend uh, you know, a few hours just playing around on Trove and finding out all sorts of things about your your, your, your house or your street or Very whatever, good. and then you, you come across <laughs> the founder of Vegemite, you know. Yeah. Um. I and 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 if 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 Mr. Vegemite, um, you know, developed the recipe in that kitchen, um, mm. and things like that, um, then obviously that would be something that could be put forward to justify that heritage overlay. But um, yes. you know, you would have to really work at it and really um, you know, kind of demonstrate that, that the, the fabric of the house is or the building is what you which demonstrates that connection, yes. that importance. Um, unfortunately the smell would probably not be there. So you can't sort of put that in maybe as a social significance or a yeah. technical significance. But um I don't think there's one yeah, there's definitely not one for smell, uh, unfortunately. No. <laughs> Anyway, it is what it is. Now, tell us the difference between a heritage-listed property and a heritage overlay on a property. Okay. Um, Look, if a place or object is heritage-listed, then the details of that place or object is recorded on a list that is associated with that level of protection. Yeah. Um, so just to sort of explain that further. So in most cases, places and objects are on the local list, uh, which means they're identified to be important at the council level. Yes. Um, other levels, uh, there's three um, sort of other levels above the local level, um, in order of importance, uh, which includes state, national and world heritage. Yes. Um, now, they all themselves hold a list and properties go onto that list. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's generally what a, 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 a heritage listing is. It's yes. being on a list, being just recorded somewhere. Yeah. Um, a heritage overlay or HO is the term we use uh, in the industry. Um, is a sort of a statutory planning tool that identifies um, places of heritage importance. Yeah. Um, it's one of a number of the planning scheme overlays, uh, yes. which is contained in the planning provision. So the heritage overlay is sort of the, um, it's the guts. It's what provides that protection, that statutory protection for yeah. it. So 
um, to go, you see, so you tend to have a heritage overlay first, and mm-hmm. then that heritage overlay then gets recorded on a list. Mm. So, yeah. so heritage overlays generally, like I've noticed, pertain to a street. So there might be a, like you need to keep the facade of the property to make sure that the street is all um, consistent with those period homes or whatever, and then you can essentially renovate out the back as long as the front is consistent with yep. that heritage overlay. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah, it is. Um, there is, they're what we call precincts, um, yeah. those sort of larger areas where individual houses might not necessarily have enough importance or enough sort of significance to meet the threshold. But yeah. when you put them in as a collective of houses or buildings within a street, yeah. then they have more of a, um, a um, they're, they're kind of more important. They, have, they, they meet that, that level. Okay. So collectively they are important because they provide that streetscape, that understanding of how our streets once appeared yes. um, and things like that. So they do that. But you also, um, and you can get, so you can get precincts at um, what they call the local level, so council level. But you can also have state listing precincts as well. Okay. Um, I wonder if you were Heritage Victoria, which, um, you know, um, put, also Heritage Council would put a, um, you know, a, a, a state listing on an area as well. So um, would that be so, like the Gascoigne Estate in in Malvern East, or even the Castlefield Precinct in um, Hampton? Are they state or are they council based? Um, I don't know those individual. Don't know those specifically, but they sound probably more of a, um, a precinct or lo- local council. Um, okay. So local council has the higher number of heritage properties to look after okay. um, or to oversee. Um, and, yeah, they would be the ones which would then administer a planning application. So should somebody want to, you know, redevelop the property, extend the property or whatever, obviously they would go through the local council to do that. Okay. Um, and you're right, you're with, within those those precincts, um, councils attempt, some councils do it slightly differently, um, but you generally would get in a precinct something that's non-contributory, contributory or significant. Yeah. Um, now, non-contributory obviously doesn't contribute to that precinct, those heritage yeah. values that are identified in the statement of significance. Um, the contributory ones obviously do. And, yeah. and those that are significant, sometimes you, they would also get a significant property, which is kind of important in its own right, but it's included in the precincts as well. So um, it, it, so majority of precincts would have non-contributory and contributory buildings um, and it's really a case of sort of protecting and, and keeping those elements that you do see from the street yeah um, now if it was a significant property within that precinct then it goes a little bit more it goes beyond just what you see from the street and actually sort of more about the the fabric that you know the form and um, you know keeping the, the you know the details that you might not necessarily see from the street um, but that building that's significant is identified to be of a more important or higher value than something that's just contributory. Okay. Um, so there's a number of gradings within those precincts and different council yeah. protection. Okay. So as examples, on a World Heritage scale, you're looking at the Royal Exhibition Buildings in terms of a set example. Yep. yep. As a national one, would you be looking at something like Como House or Ribbon Lee, or are they more state? 
No, they definitely state. Um, national would be things like Queen Vic Market, Queen Victoria okay. Market. Yeah, yeah. That, that's on the national um, scale register. Um, and then state would be things like, um, yeah, sort of Como House, um, you know, your substantial Victorian mansion maybe in places like Brundara or Torak or, or whatever. Um, yeah. And then obviously you get your local your local ones, which are your precincts, which are more your streetscapes and things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. So just, yeah, I like to give examples to the listeners just to put, a, yeah. Yeah, put some perspective into what they're talk- we're talking about because, you know. Just That's right. You can, you, you, yeah, you can get a little bit kind of bogged down with all the kind of planning speak and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So to put them into a, an example is probably good just to help people visualise. Um, but look, yeah. in terms of things like like local listings, for example, generally be buildings, more of a heritage place that would be on, yeah. a, on a, um, a heritage overlay. So your parks, for example, might get protected and the bandstand in the park might get protected. Yeah. Um, or like the Glenferry Oval in Hawthorne, um, that, that grandstand there it's, it's actually on the, the victorian heritage register um so and there is generally there is a connection between state and local as well um because obviously heritage victoria would be the one that administers the decision on state registered yes. properties whereas local council would be more at the local level um but yeah. councils do have an opportunity to comment on state register properties as well as everybody else as well they Mm, yeah. um, state listed properties are amongst everyday life. Um, you know, you'll be yes. surprised. So you could you know, potentially buy a state registered heritage listed property, and it could be yeah. even like a, an eighteen forties little miners' cottage in Port Melbourne that could be on the mm-hmm. state. Um, Correct. Heritage yes. That's right. Yep. And, then, the- and then you've got things like the shell building um, in the in the CBD. Which is you know more of a modern building, um, yeah. or whatever. The state register um, is sort of something which will look at all periods. It doesn't necessarily mm. get bogged down, I suppose. We you know um, oh it's seventies, therefore it's not that important. It's like no. they will consider if a nomination gets put forward, they will consider it um, on yeah. its merits, um, and then they will you know if they feel it meets that threshold again um, mm-hmm. of state significance or state importance, then yeah. they'll recommend it. Um, and then it goes forward to the Heritage Council to make that decision or not. So yeah. Um, there's, yeah, a whole range of yeah. interesting buildings, which we probably all walk past every day. Yes. <laughs> Look, I know there's a, a house in Brighton that I think Percy Granger was born in. I think it's New Street. And that had, like, it's a lovely Victorian double-fronted cottage. And obviously developers thought that was a great like it had a bit of land behind it and all this stuff so they've kept the facade of the cottage and that heritage listing but then somehow created a contemporary townhouse development behind it mm-hmm. um and then i think it was next to a laneway so then the parking was able to get access through the laneway so there's different ways to string cat if you like if you have a heritage property um and maintain the significance but still utilise the space around it, essentially, without distracting, like, from the streetscape. That's right, yeah. There are, you know, um, developing or adding to or, um, you know, in, improving from modern living um, a, a heritage building um, or building mm. a heritage overlay. Um, look, yes, if you, if you do it sensitively, 
um, and you consider and you understand what's important about that building um, and you, um, you know, come up with a design that it could be sympathetic to um, or it could be in contrast to, um, both sort of approaches work. It really depends on, on how important the, the building is, um, generally on what informs the approach, um, as well as personal taste, obviously. Yeah, so yeah. They, are, they are people's homes um, at the end of the day. So it's sort of balancing all those sort of things. But in kind of the, you know, the heritage world, it's really kind of coming from a point of understanding. Yeah. what is important about that building and what are those characteristics of that building that actually um, we need to keep, we need to work with um, and things yeah. like that. And you know, there is a level of adaptability that it can occur, but once you go over that line and you do too much, then that's mm. when you start to impact and start to really, um, you know, have an effect on what is important about that. So yeah. it's making sure you don't go over that line. Yes, definitely. Now, mm-hmm. we've talked about the heritage register and the heritage overlays. Now, if you're buying a property, how can we find out if the property is either on the register or has a heritage overlay? Yeah, so heritage register is usually a term which you associate you associate with properties on the on the Victorian Heritage Register. So there are state listed properties. Um, yeah. Now, to, to search one of those, um, um, the Heritage Council. Um, website will have a search engine, uh, which is the, basically the heritage, sorry, the Victorian Heritage Database. Um, okay. And that's something you can literally just tap in um, and it will pop up. Um, you, there's a search engine on there and you, you can then search it um, and it will pop up. Um, yeah. Hopefully, it takes a little, sometimes you have to play around with the address um, mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, there is, they've got you kind of one where you can just tap, you know, number 10 Peel Street in, in yeah. Melbourne, um, and that will, you know, come up. Or you might have to go into the kind of the advanced search, in which case you might need to know a little bit more about the property. But generally that would be your first port of call. Um, yeah. If you strike it lucky in your first search, um, yeah. <laughs> then you it will come up. It will give you the details of the property. It will give you where the extent is, so what boundaries of the listing are, um, yeah. and also it will give you a statement of significance which identifies what's important about that property and why it's on Victorian Heritage Register. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so how about the overlay? Yeah, in terms of the overlays, um, uh, we generally use VicPlan. Um, yeah. which is a statewide mapping service. Um, and you, you, you're literally, again, you just tap your address in. Um, mm. VicPlan is a little bit more user-friendly, I find, um, in terms of it, it, it will give you an option if there's multiple streets, addresses, and that sort of thing with the same yeah. address. But generally, you can click on it. Um, the key with VicPlan, though, is working out how you then find the overall information because, obviously, yeah. it's all the it's all the, the planning provisions are there. Um, yes. So it's a base of sort of manipulating it. But you can go to a feature that's called, I think it's called the um, a planning property report. And that will basically produce a PDF uh, or a document that you, yeah. will, you will see in it and you can scan through it and it will tell you if it's in a heritage overlay or not. Yeah, I, like I use VigPlan and to, yeah. you know, find out properties. And, I, yeah, you just put the address in and it gives you the land not necessarily the size, so this is just on the basic level, but it does give you the development overlays to the side. And That's so if you just look right. at the HO, I think the you scan overlay, down and you, yeah, you have to make sure yeah. it's, 
it's kind of hidden to tick the box to get them come up. They're kind of hidden within the layers, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so you do kind of have to just have a little bit of a play around with it. And they generally then pop up as a, you know, I think it's sort of a pinkish kind of overlay. Um, yeah. And then you'll, then you'll get presented with a um, heritage overlay or an HO number. Um, mm. And then it's that HO number that then you can go away and have a look at the planning scheme. Um, I think you can click the number as well. Actually, it might take you to the HO the actual schedule in the Heritage yeah. Council's planning scheme. And that will give you then the name. Um, you might then have to search through their table, um, but yeah. you then go through that, you find that, and then you'll, you'll understand, then you'll get the name of it, HO number, and then you'll kind of find out what additional controls might be applying to the site. Yeah. So things like pain controls, tree controls, um, fences, that sort of thing. So yeah. you do that. Um, and then once you've kind of got the number, um, then it's a matter really of going then probably to the council's website to then try and find the statement of significance for that particular yeah. site. And it might be that it's in a precinct, in which case it's a general yeah. statement of significance, or it might be a site-specific statement of significance. Um, and that, that document is key in really understanding what is important about the site. Yeah. Now, if I've got a fairly significant property and I think it deserves to stay as it is, what could I do to register my property on the Heritage Register? So, again, the Heritage Register would be Heritage Victoria, with state level. Yes. Um, yeah. So, in terms of that, um, it would basically be nominating the property through yeah. Heritage Victoria's um, process. Uh, nomination, you'd need to demonstrate what is important about that property, yeah. that place or that object, um, yeah. and demonstrate why it's significant to Victoria. So you've you, you got a fair bit of work to do. So it could be famous person lived there. Yeah, it would have to be something like it's an intriguing type of character that they've thrown in there. It could be an architect who, who's or or a builder who was um, significant. Like I think in Glen Huntley, A.V. Jennings did his yep. first building, like first California bungalow in, mm-hmm. in Glen Huntley kind of thing. And, you know, it'd have to be somebody of that sort of significance um, who, you know, started an empire. In- yeah, look, in, you know, when, when, earlier on when we were talking about the factors um, and things like that, you know, what, what makes, mm. what are those key things that you have to look for or uh, property needs to have to be in a heritage overlay? Um, it's, you know, it's yeah. things, you know, is it historically important? Um, is it something which is demonstrating a um, way of constructing that is very unusual um, or is no longer found anymore? So yes. that would sort of be maybe that technical significance. Um, that connection to A.V. Jennings that you mentioned would be that sort of associative significance. Um, so it would be, yes. you know, it's yeah. imp- the house is important because it is... Um, no, built, it was the first house built by Amy Jenny. So to do that, to put that in your nomination, yeah. you would have to obviously research and be 99.9% sure that that is actually the yeah. uh, first property that he built. So that's where your research and all your analysis comes in. So it takes a lot of work to yeah. get a property on the Victorian Heritage Register. Yeah, I'll, I'm sure it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of council yeah. at Heritage Overlay, because it's that lower level um, and... Mm. Um, going to say it's sort of, kind of you know, just as important um at that yeah. that local level you would literally approach council and you could call their um, um strategic planning department and say look yes. i would like um a property i'd like to nominate a property um for 
inclusion in heritage overlay. Um, and then hopefully they will say, look, I'll pop you on the list. Um, and then when we do our next heritage study, we'll include it. And then therefore, then that's when they then would commission heritage consultants like ourselves to do the heritage study, to look at that property and do the research analysis and run it through that criteria, um, that heritage criteria, which we spoke about earlier on. So we could talk, we could be talking years, couldn't you? Like if you had a property. Uh, look, the heritage studies can get done fairly quickly. Uh, they're usually, obviously, because it's a council budget or um, in the case of Heritage mm. Victoria, um, you know, it's the individuals that nominate. Um, but in terms of councils, they have a statutory duty uh, to look and preserve their heritage, protect their heritage. So they have that requirement to do it. So they would pay for that heritage study themselves. The heritage study itself could, could be done fairly quickly. Um, but it's yeah. generally that process then that follows. So, for example, mm. if, it, if it probably gets identified and then gets recommended by the consultant, the expert, um, who says, yes, that property is going to, is important enough to have its own heritage overlay, then what council has to do, if they go forward, if they, councillors decide to go forward with that heritage study and its recommendations, then there's a public consultation process. And that has yeah. a number of stages that has to happen. Um, and then at the end of all that, there's lots of council meetings, councils kind of, you know, so you say yes or no, and it goes through a, a, a big process, very consultative type process, um, and then there will be a, a recommendations. And then sometimes if people object to it, then there's an opportunity for councils to go to panel, panels, panel Victoria okay. to get them to, to give their opinion. Yeah. Do you find that a lot of neighbours... Uh, actually nominate properties because they don't want overdevelopment or they're concerned the streetscape's going to change too much. And then, for instance, if there was talk about selling the property as a development site, then putting those nominations in place will slow down that process of development? Um, people have been known to do those sorts of tricks, <laughs> yes. Uh... <laughs> I don't think it would be very good for neighbourly relations. No. But, um, yeah, look, you know, there are there, there are people out there who do, do that sort of yeah sort of trick um, and what have you. Look, look, but uh, but ultimately the process would would work it out. Things can get nominated, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it will, a heritage overlay would eventually get put on there. Yeah. Um, or there would have to be quite a rigorous. Oh, it is a rigorous process. It that, is. That, goes on there um and as people as a as a firm who has done the heritage studies and has gone through that public consultation process um and have been subject to sort of vigorous questioning at planning panels um and things like that like you have to be really 100 percent sure that that property is worthwhile yeah um you know because people generally when you tell property owners that the heritage overlay is going on they're either shocked and then want to fight it or they go okay what does that mean oh no i'm happy with it so it really yeah. does depend you know on, on, on the person maybe what they want to do with their property in yeah. the future so yeah. lots and lots of factors there that come into play fair enough now we're going to have a bit of a break and after the break we're going to be talking to mark stevenson from chathawan about what we can do to a heritage listed property You're listening to Real Estate Right, and I'm Sue Langada, and we're talking to heritage consultant Mark Stevenson from Chathawan about preserving Melbourne's heritage properties. 
Mark, I've got a listener question. Now, Sally from Marvel wants to make changes to her property, which is heritage listed, so on the state register. What can she do in terms of renovating and extending her property? Okay. Um, look, there's a number of factors that you have to take into account uh, when considering a renovation, yeah. particularly the state registered property. Um, yeah. So if, if it's state, obviously the first thing to do would be to go and understand what is important about that property. So go and source the statement of significance. Um, Have a look at that statement of significance and work it through. Understand what it's about, what parts of the building are important. Um, You would also sort of bring into Mm. the mix at that point what the condition of the property is and how intact it is to that, say, period of of importance. So if you're talking an 1880s workers' cottage um, or mansion or, or, you know, something like that, then obviously that period, that that material, that fabric, those the characteristics, the detailing mm. of those properties that of, of, sorry, of that period, that 1880s period, they're obviously mm. the things that your property is or Sally's property is important for. Yeah. What you would do then, you would mix that in, you would put that into your consideration mix your you know your your feasibility design development and you would ideally work around Mm. those you would keep those features intact um you might focus on say the back of the house and the back of the house or part of the house that has been altered um has had a renovation in the 20s um and then again in the 60s and then another one in the 80s so if you've got a building with those sorts of actions happening then you would you would probably focus on those um, and things like that. Yeah. Um, so you can target, you know, certain areas now. So that's pretty much all basically that, that understanding. Um, what have you. Um, mm. If you're talking more kind of local level, it's a similar process, um, things like that, but you've obviously got those, those gradings within the protection, um, contributory or significant. Um, and then if you've just got a contributory property in the precinct, then you are just looking about what is visible from the public realm. Um, so you've got a yeah. slightly different approach there um, and things like that. Mm. But, yeah, it's really understanding. It's really yeah. doing a sympathetic design. Um, you yeah. can have your approaches where you might do something very contemporary and that sort of sits very differently. Mm. Um, or you can have a sympathetic um, style. But if you go down the sympathetic style route, you really need to be able to distinguish between what's old and what's new. Um, so you might do yes. something in a slightly different detail um, or you might mm. so, so you might put a timber sash window in but you might do the horn detail on the window slightly differently to what is on yes. the main house so or you might put a line or you might put a you know a, a physical separation or gap between the old and the new so there's lots of sort of little design yes. tricks you can do um, and things like that so to, to, to yeah to build into your design so you know it can get a little bit complicated or you know and it or yeah. it could get you know a number of factors start to confuse things um but you know ultimately mm. it's just a matter of working through getting the right advice um and yeah proceeding mm. with, a, with a, a clear vision calling somebody like you in uh, yeah Sally that would be you great in, yeah. definitely like to get started my number yeah. yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay yeah um I remember doing a house which was, I think it had a heritage overlay rather than heritage listing. And the owner had been there, I think, sort of since he was born and he'd recently died. So the place was a bit of a shambles. And I remember the only hot water service to the house 
was a steel canister over the bath. Probably with a burner underneath, some kind of wood chip burner. Yeah, with a burner. Yeah. So the the kitchen had no hot water, the laundry had no hot water, and the the bathroom sink had no hot water. So it was, you know, I've never ever said it before. And there was a gap about, you know, an inch high um, between the floor and the wall under the, yeah. So it was falling to, falling mm-hmm. to bits. It really was. <laughs> this poor old man lived here until he died. It was just, it's a bit sad. <laughs> um, I guess what I was getting at with that is, you know, you'd be allowed to renovate that or would that, hot water canister be considered heritage listing or heritage qualities or look if it's if it's like look um to answer the first question would you be able to renovate that would you be able to to bring that up to modern um, living standards standards. yes you would um then you you need to be able to do an element of work um Adaptive reuse is where you sort of, it's a term you would use more for, say, a building that's redundant. But when it comes to dwellings yeah. and things like that, like, yes, you, you can. And it, add, it will then add to the layer of history. It will then be, you know, a way of preserving that history. So, yes, you do need to kind of renovate. You do yeah. need to do this. But you just need to kind of do it in the right way. I'll show you the photo. Can you see that? Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, and there's the gap. There's yeah, the gap. The sink. Yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty cool, isn't it? That is very cool. <laughs> <laughs> in a very drafty, hard work kind of way. Yes. yes. Yeah, but you can um, see what I mean by the canister. Like it's, it's yes, a really odd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like it's yeah. even got the piping. Just like you can see the piping coming. It's purely yeah, the only. Oh, and either, yeah, right. Okay, and the shower curtain. Or is that the shower head? That round? That's the shower. That, well, the, no, I think it's. So the upright and the bit that's coming across is where the shower head was, and that ring is just a shower head. Yeah, curtain possibly, ring, yeah. Because it's in the middle, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. But it's yeah. interesting, isn't it? Just seeing. It is. Oh, look, you do you do you do certainly come across, and I've, I've come across many of those in a very similar situation, actually, to what you yeah. described, where there was a little old lady who, who lived in the house and had lived there all her life, was yeah. born there, and what have you, and you know, eventually left there when she um, unfortunately couldn't cope. Um, but that was a house that was very much similar to yeah. that, um, and this lady had lived in that pretty much into her 90s, I believe. Um, and yeah, you went in. It's like a time it is capsule, amazing, um, and things like that. Um, and in those sort of situations, what you would would do, you would probably record those sorts of details. You'd take photos mm. of those those rooms, um, and what have you. And you know, you could get creative with some of those mm. items in the house. You know, like um, as a heritage consultant, obviously you would want the hot water system to go in, so people would do it. You would fix yeah. the floor, restump it, whatever. And if that needs new fabric, well, that just needs new fabric because that fabric that's there has yes. failed. So you would need to, um, you know, put new fabric in to be able to bring that life, that house or that building back mm. to life. Um, but you you might decide that, you know, you don't just want to rip out that no. heater. You want to use that heater somewhere yes. else. So you might do something a bit fun yeah. with it um you might might sort of kind of reuse it um and put it into another part of the house or you create an outdoor shower with that as, because it's next to elwood yeah. your beach shower yeah. how good's that <laughs> that's <laughs> right 
so you know you can be creative and, and usually with a you know state listed property when you when it comes to putting an application into heritage victoria you do have to sometimes what well, you do have to inform heritage victoria what you've done to mitigate the impact so the impact in this instance would be the removal of an old heating yes. device like that um but what you would do to mitigate it is you, you would then reuse yeah. it somewhere else nice you would photograph the the, the, the property the, the item yeah. um, and you would record it and then you'd have to put that you know those set of photographs in at the local library or yeah. council or sometimes at the state library just depends on how important yeah. the building is kind of thing so look there is yeah look it wouldn't be a blanket no you have to keep yes. that and you know run your family home of 10 children from that little burner you know <laughs> showering them every every 10 seconds as they and get out and ones. instantly cool um, feet with that draft <laughs> that's right <laughs> we wouldn't need to dry your no. <laughs> <laughs> you're fine in the weather like today but yeah in the you know, depth of winter yeah different definitely story. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. do i need specific trades who are registered for heritage works to work on my property or restore its character um look it's always recommended that you engage the right person for the yeah. job um, and usually when it comes to heritage buildings, um, you need someone who's um, skilled and experienced in dealing with those types of properties because their construction was very different to what construction is now. Um, and a lot of heritage buildings, um, particularly something which is of aesthetic significance, um, it would be how the building has been built, how the building has been is yeah. looking. Um, so you want to make sure that that person you engage is somebody who can put that back, can do the right yeah. thing. Um, so, for example, if you've got a property, a brick property that's been painted um, and, and you want to take it back to the yeah. brick, you want to make sure you engage a person who can strip that paint yeah. off but not strip the fire protective surface of the brick because if you do that so if you strip it if you strip it too hard if you use a product which takes off that fire surface of the brick you've basically produced a sponge Mm. and then therefore you're potentially always going to have a damn problem so you'll want to make sure you're getting the right people in who have got the skills and that experience to make sure you're going to do the right thing and do it in the right way and they're becoming far and few between aren't they and if you are yes if you are going to be um stripping those paint that paint off the bricks make sure that you don't strip off the tuck pointing well that's the thing yes a lot of people might not realize that they've got that detail on the on the house yes. um and you know surprising you know sometimes tuck pointing can be quite old um it was used in the late yes. victorian period and brittle. um and it's brittle um and in some parts of the building um it could where exposed part of the building is it might not be there but it might still be intact and in perfect condition underneath the veranda it's just then being painted yeah. over. So it's not until you start to, yeah. you, you really need someone just to come in and take a look at it and then be able to go, yeah. okay, we need to be careful around here because you've got that remnant type pointing. That finish, thing. yeah. So, yeah, you do need that eye and that skill, yeah. Yeah. Is there a specific place we can get a list of those trades? Unfortunately not. There's no one-stop shop with this sort of thing. Um, but Heritage Victoria do have the Find a Consultants page on their website. Um and so that would be a good place to start. Um, National Trust might also be somebody who is another organisation that could assist there because uh, they obviously have um, yeah. you know, they have their own properties that they maintain. So they would probably have a list of trades. Yeah. Um, the other thing is to you know, obviously speak to a company like mine um, and what have you because we have people that yeah. we use um, and also just talk to other you know 
other heritage homeowners um, who have been through the process. Yeah. Um, I always think a recommendation by word of mouth is probably worth more than, you know, a cheaper price and you've just got it off the, you know, yellow pages yes. or white pages yeah. or whatever it's called, um, you know, which is a bit defunct these days, isn't it? <laughs> um, but, you know, just, 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 just off the, the internet, internet. <laughs> that's right. If you just, you know, Google it um, and then you are, um, yeah. you know, you, you pull it up. But it, it's really a case of just, yeah, just, just talking to people, speak to the right organisation, speak to the people yeah. in the know and can save you a lot of time. Yeah. And the reality is they will charge a premium because they're quite the artisan, aren't they? Uh, those who know how to look after period homes. Yeah, look, in terms of those sort of, um, yeah, intricate details of things like stained glass and things like that, yes, they would be, you know, somebody who's, who is an artisan, um, you know, but then you've obviously got people like roofers um, and things like that. If you've got a particular detail on the roof, then, you know, yes, those skills yeah. are very few and far between to be able to produce those details again. Um, but I kind of mm. think that, yes, they would come at a premium, but, I think anybody with a specialist in unique skill, whether it be in heritage or not, yeah. is always going to cost money because they've they've well, learned yeah. their trade, they've they've um, got experience and things like that at doing them. So they're always going to cost money. Um, you're paying for the years rather than the minutes. Really? Yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're paying for that experience. You're paying for that somebody to advise you right from the beginning, rather than you go down the route of going for the cheap quote. And unfortunately, that person turns out not to be as experienced maybe as they've said. And then you end up with that situation where they've stripped the paint off your building and then you've got a damp issue yeah. because they've just gone too hard too quickly. Whereas someone experienced yes. in that sort of yeah. scenario would go gently and they would just do it. It might take them a little bit more time, but you kind of know at the end of that that you've got a, a good product. Um, yeah. And it's sort of the same, I think, with anything as well. You you, you just shop around. Uh, you develop your brief. Um, you yeah. would seek quotations. Yeah. Uh, you compare, and then your preferred contractor. You you know you'd have a conversation with them, um, and you'd talk to them about it. Mm. Um, and then you know you might be able in a position to be able to negotiate the price um, and things like that. So yeah, a lot of it just comes down to human interaction, I think, really, um, and yeah. just, just just taking your time. Uh, which is quite key, I think, with heritage buildings. You just sort of take your time and make sure you're doing the right yeah. thing. Yep. Now, the big question, does a heritage listing or overlay affect the value of my property? Yeah, hotly debated topic, this one. Um, look, again, it's influenced by many factors. Um, but yeah. I, I look, in my experience, I'd probably say no. Um, I don't think it does. Um, I think when it comes to selling, um, I tend to find vendors um, uh, will play up to the charm and the character of the property um, and therefore use those as best selling, you know, attributes and things like that and features. Um, And then the people that are coming through the door are those people that actually are looking for that type of property. Um, And then therefore they're probably Mm. willing to pay that that premium um, and, for, and, and yeah. to get that prestige of living somewhere like that, um, you know, of owning an old mm. or unique property. So I think in that sort of scenario, it, it, you could probably say no. Um, I suppose from yeah. a, a homeowner's property, uh, that a homeowner has to maintain a property in the heritage overlay, um, then, you know, obviously not as mm. there would be some increased costs uh, associated with this upkeep. Yes. Um, but I kind of think... Yeah. 
you know, you, you're doing it because you're living in that and you're enjoying that home yourself. Um, and so you would reap the benefits while you're there. And I think then when it comes to selling, you, you would recoup the cost when you come to sell it because you'd go down that route of, yes, you know, saying how lovely my property is and therefore it's worth it. Um, I suppose the, yeah. only, the only scenario I can kind of think of to me is a property where it might devalue is if, if the property is pitched at a redevelopment site and in order to get that value that it's on the market for, you have to demolish the existing property. Yeah. Um, then obviously a developer coming in or someone looking to buy that, what they would deem to be a vacant piece of land in their most desirable area, um, they would yes. hopefully through their due diligence find out that it's an heritage overlay. Um, and then that would be yeah. then obviously that, that would be a risk to them of can I demolish mm. that house or not. Um, so therefore... If they pick that up, then they might go, well, I've got a risk here and I'm not prepared to pay what you're asking Mm. for it because the risk is sitting on me. So, therefore, that would be the point, I suppose, where somebody might go, okay, well, no, I'm going to offer you less than what you're asking for. So, in that case, I suppose that would be a very unique situation scenario, but but that would be sort of something to demonstrate it um, where something might be devalued. um, But it's, it's then in the hands of very different people types of people you know i think heritage um property owners and people who want to buy them um, are generally buying them because they want to live in a house like that Um, and that does come with a premium um you've yeah you've also got the protection as well that heritage overlay affords particularly in precinct so you've got a level of protection from inappropriate development um happening because if you're surrounded by houses on either side of you that have all got a grading then it's a very unlikely that council will mm. let them be demolished, uh, things like that. And yeah. VCAP might be a different story. Um, something might go to VCAP. Um, in my view, and that's a different story. That's generally not councils approving things. Generally, you find in those situations, yes. councils are saying no because it's their duty to protect yeah. them, but VCAP would have a different opinion. So you tend to mm. sometimes you find that, you know, if a heritage home is demolished, um, it's usually because of another process, not because of the council process. Um, yeah. Oh, that, and that's another kettle of fish, isn't it? Good old VCAT. <laughs> that's that's a whole different podcast, I think. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, is there anything else our listeners should know about heritage preservation before they go out and buy a property? Look, I've spoken about it before, but I think it's really important and to stress the importance of of understanding what you're buying. Uh, Make sure you you, Mm. you, you understand what the level of protection is, um, how this will affect your plans um, and the way you want to use the property in the future. Um, You know, I think they're really important and they're the sorts of questions you ask yourself when you're dropping a large sum of money on on anything. Uh, You always question if it's the right thing for you um you also sort of need to be willing to compromise sometimes um so you you need to you know you can't just go in and go okay well i want to make i want to do this and i'll do that you know because sometimes the listing means you can't and you have to protect it so you sometimes need to be willing to compromise um and also be prepared to pay for those unexpected works uh, that are necessary to preserve the building so for example if you find that you've got to do some underpinning you know, in a corner um, and things like yeah. that. And you didn't know that until you lifted the floor because the floor, you just thought the floor was rotten. Um, and then suddenly you yeah. realise there's a gaping hole underneath the corner of your house. Well, they're yeah. kind of unexpected work. So, um, and yeah. those things would then obviously attract a, a cost. Um, 
and things like that. So um, it's really a case of, yeah, doing your due diligence and making sure that you um, yeah, know what you're getting yourself in for. Yep, fair enough. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for coming on to Real Estate Right. How can our listeners get in touch with you if they have a specific question about their heritage property? Yeah, you can email the company um, at hello at trithowen.com.au. Um, or our telephone number is yes. um, 94215448. Um, and yes. be happy to, you know, look at your inquiry. Um, you can also email me directly yeah. at mark at um, And, yeah, we'll yeah. take a look at your inquiries. And if we can assist you, then yeah, we'll be more than happy to, to do that. Um, we always look at everything that comes in through the door and then we, you know, we give sort of our, our honest opinion. And if we can support it, then obviously we, we can go on to the next stages and, you know, be very open and um, have our, you know, we, we sort of structure our fees and things like that in stages. So, um, yeah, it's very much a sort of a working progress sort of type approach we take. Um, if we can, you know, support it and, and believe it's the right thing to do. So, yeah. Yep, sounds good. So thanks again, Mark. It's been a privilege having you on our podcast and to listen to your wealth of knowledge. Now, next week we have Joseph Dowd from Millennium Communications to talk to us about our credit scores. What's a credit score, how it can affect your ability to get a home loan and how you can improve it. The perfect episode for those saving for their first home or wanting to make a change, so don't miss it. Real Estate Right is produced by Real Copyright, one of Melbourne's leading real estate copywriting companies, and is written, hosted, and produced by me, Sue Langada, with the support of my production and social media assistant, Lisa Fisher. All information given on this podcast is a guide only and delivered to help you understand the intricacies that can happen in real estate. We recommend that you get professional advice that is designed for your own personal circumstances. We would like to thank Podbean for hosting this podcast, Premium Beat for their music, Francis Morello for his voiceover, and Zoom for the recording. If you have a real estate story that is inspiring or a great how-to tip, please contact Lisa on 5977-889 to find out how you can be a guest on Real Estate Right in 2022. If you would like to know more about our copywriting services, please email Lisa at orders at realcopyright.com.au. Thank you for listening to Real Estate Right. It's where buyers, sellers, renters and investors get their real estate right. Oh, 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 oh,